Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Misty Copeland's story is pretty much the stuff of legend. She's been called the Jackie Robinson of ballet, while others describe her as a real-life Cinderella. The truth is, she's both, but a whole lot more, too. Misty didn't come from a traditional dance background. She was 13 the first time she took a free ballet class at a local boys' and girls' club. Until then, her only training was inventing dance routines while listening to Mariah Carey in her bedroom. Her childhood home was chaotic and crowded, as one of six children in a single-parent household. The family was living in a motel, and there simply wasn't time or money for things like formal dance training. But from that very first class, it was obvious that Misty had a serious dance destiny. The teacher, Cynthia Bradley, was astonished by her natural talent and took it upon herself to help her train. Soon, Misty was dancing in regional productions and drawing huge crowds. And yet, for all the buzz building up, there were also a lot of whispers. From the beginning, Misty faced constant criticism for her so-called look, her muscular body, her difficult hair, and of course, her brown skin. Was the conservative and very white dance world ready to embrace a black ballerina? Misty pushed ahead, eventually joining ABT, the prestigious American ballet theater. For years, she was the only black woman in the company, and as her star continued to rise, Misty felt a growing sense of purpose. She was determined to succeed, not only for herself, but for other young dancers of color being told they weren't the right type for ballet. In 2015, Misty made history when she became the company's first black principal dancer. Having achieved one of the highest honors a ballerina can earn, Misty is more determined than ever to use her platform wisely. She's written three books, including a children's book about a young black ballet student. She's spoken alongside President Barack Obama about America's ongoing battle for equality. Having won so many of her own, Misty is determined that the next generation won't have to fight so hard. And she does all this while keeping up with her rigorous training and performance schedule, which includes her starring role in the upcoming film release of Disney's The Nutcracker and The Four Realms coming out this November. Ballet is still her first love, it probably always will be. But now Misty dances with a mission. This, she says, is for all the little brown girls. Misty Copeland, it is such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to go back to to sort of growing up in California mm-hmm. as one of six children, yes. number four, and being raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it might have been a bit of a chaotic household. Oh, my God. But like I would never take it back. I'm so happy no. now to have like all of my siblings. And, you know, again, so I was the last child from my mom's second marriage, which the first four from him. And he lives in Wisconsin now. Mm-hmm. But I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. 
where my mom was a professional cheerleader for the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. And so that was kind of her, like she danced as a young girl, ballet, tap, jazz, and then she ended up being a cheerleader. A professional cheerleader. A professional cheerleader. Yeah, not I think easy. she was like one of the youngest to be taken onto the team. But she is a huge like sports fanatic. So like she only wanted to do it so she could get like tickets to like for her and her mom to, to like watch the games and stuff. So she so, loves football. Yes. Really? Like Does she, is she like decked way. in jerseys and, and yeah, all of that stuff and like, gets like season tickets and all that? It was like my worst nightmare. Like, really? <laughs> yes. I was the one kid in my family that wasn't really, I don't know, like attached to anything. Like no sports. Like the only thing that I was obsessed with was Mariah Carey. Like that was my only well, passion who could in blame you? <laughs> who could blame you? And I'm MC and she's MC. You know, I saw her at um, at a restaurant once, and I have to tell you, when she walked in, in her really, really high heels, and she had oh very, gosh. very tight jeans on, but I have to tell you, I was starstruck. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. She really like took my breath away. I mean, I don't know what I would do if I actually met her, and we haven't met yet, but we were supposed to meet on many occasions. And <laughs> This is about Misty, not Mariah but it can be this about time. Her too. There, I mean, she was a huge influence on my life. Why? So when we left Kansas City, I was two years old and my mom left my father and just took all of us kids, uh, the four of us. And then she was that married. Hard for you? I don't remember anything. Okay. Yeah, I was two and we moved to Southern California where she married her third husband. And my little sister, Lindsay, was born. Um, she's three years younger than me. And so Harold, uh, her father, raised me. So that's like who I knew was my father. And then when I was seven years old, she divorced Harold and she married her last husband, Brian. And then we had Cameron, who's my youngest brother. Mm -hmm. And we're all just like very, I don't know, different. And so, yeah, it was just like a crazy upbringing, a lot of, you know, picking up and moving and always being like having to change schools, like all of these things, I think, created this anxiety inside of me that made me extremely introverted when I think I already was naturally that way. And then just like the traumas of, you know, witnessing all of these different environments. And there was a lot of emotional and physical abuse as well. So I literally just became this like shell of a person. You mean observing your parents or your, your parents relationships? Yes. Yeah. And so I was seven years old when we moved in with my stepfather, Brian. And that was the same year that Mariah Carey released her first album. And I think my oldest brother, Doug, was the one that told us about her. He's like, there's this biracial woman, and she's, I think she was 19, and her voice is unbelievable. I think she was from Long Island. Yeah. So my little brother, Cameron, was also born that year. And something weird, like, I don't know, he would cry whenever we'd get into the car. And my mom would put Mariah Carey's tape in, and he would just, like, just stop crying and it was just like this she became ours and also I think like she looked similar to my mother and so I think not until I was an adult and living on my own and dancing professionally did I realize like why she impacted me so much and I think it was just being able to see myself in someone else 
being a biracial girl and, and my family being every ethnicity and seeing someone succeeding that looked like me, I don't think I realized like the power of representation at that point. So randomly last week, I decided to DM Mariah Carey. Oh my God, did she DM you back? Where, and Yeah, I, I had a small heart attack and my husband had to FaceTime me because he literally thought I wasn't going to be okay. He's like, are you all right? Are you still alive? <laughs> but But just to like have... Um, to, to be able connected. to share, but I, I, I talk about her all the time, so I'm sure she's heard the story, but to be able to share with her, like that, it's not about her celebrity. It's not about all of these things. It's literally having someone that I can see myself through having representation. That's why she's had such a huge impact on me. So it was beautiful just to let her know. That is incredible. <laughs> it's like how I relate to the youth now, you know, just like by me being a black woman, on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera House, like simply by seeing that, like a young brown kid can envision that that could be their future without even really consciously knowing it. But I feel like that was just kind of like, she just became like my everything until I discovered ballet at 13 years old. It sounds like she was really sort of this, like you could count on her, yes. even though there was a lot Absolutely. of change and a lot of uncertainty. And I have to, I really can understand what you're talking about with your parents. I used to observe my parents fighting a lot. And it's not until much later when I think about it that it just made me feel unstable. Mm -hmm. It made me, it, you don't realize there's how no much security. kids feel like they need Absolutely. just to feel like there's stability mm -hmm. and that they're safe and that, you know, nobody's going to sort of just one day disappear. Absolutely. But I think being in those environments, I think that having that kind of upbringing my parents stayed together you know for their for, throughout their marriage until mm -hmm. my father passed away but I think that growing up in that environment made me really tough absolutely I think it made me very self-protective and I think it also kind of made me have that same kind of shyness that mm -hmm. you talked about because you're so focused on observing everything around you yeah. and making sure that it's you know, okay. you're prepared yeah. if something goes wrong. Yeah. It's a way of protecting yourself. Yeah, I think so. So 13, you discovered dance. Yeah. And it was because you saw another dancer, right? I saw a gymnast. You saw a gymnast. Yeah. Okay. So Mariah Carey... Um, we have to keep bringing her along to, throughout right, the gonna, entire episode. Oh, she's going to come along, okay. believe me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a picture of you and a picture of Mariah together. <laughs> oh it's like, gosh. it's the two of them. It's Misty uh. and Mariah. <laughs> Her music, it was the first time I started to create movement and I was choreographing and it was only to her music. So I would, that was kind of like What's my your way song of to dance to. I choreographed a dance to, I think, All in Your Mind. I've been thinking about you. And then later on, when I was 16 years old, I actually choreographed a dance to this song called Looking In. Mm -hmm. And it was actually shown on 2020 because I they did a story on me. And at the end, I'm like dancing on the beach to Mariah's Looking In. And I was like so adamant about like dancing to that song. And it's just like hilarious. But she definitely, I think, wow. inspired me to start dancing. And then I think around the age of maybe nine, I saw this Lifetime movie about Mariah. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I gotta let it's it go. Never gonna end. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Sorry. So my niece was named Mariah after Mariah. When I was, I think I was 14 I can't or take it. It's I... too much. Anyway, so I, um, and so I saw this Lifetime story on Nadia Comaneci, who was a gymnast. She was like the first one gymnast. One of the greatest. She was one of the first gymnasts to sort of be a celebrity gymnast. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, in her Olga story Olga Corbett was, too. Remember yes, her? Yes. yes, I do. 
But so that was the first time that I was like, I, I'd never seen classical dance. I'd never heard classical music. So I think seeing that that movie and seeing her, I mean, I was especially drawn to the floor exercises. And I think now it was because it was the closest thing to classical dance that I'd yeah. ever seen. And so I, for whatever reason, I was so drawn to that. So I would go into my front yard when we lived with my father, Brian, who of all of my stepdads, he had like the most stable like home environment. Mm-hmm. So we actually had a front yard and a backyard, which I that was the only time in my life we did. Uh-huh. Um, and I would just start teaching myself how to do gymnastics and just like imagining like, you know, performing. By yourself? By or myself. Did you have a friend? No, really? by myself. I didn't have a lot of friends. My fa- my siblings were my friends. Wow. And so I decided to audition for the drill team at my middle school when I was 12. I was mm-hmm. about to turn 13. And of course, I I think I cr- created a dance to Mariah Carey. But when you audition for the captain, you have to learn the group number that everyone learns to audition for the team. But then if you're captain, you have to create your own dance as well. So I made a routine to George Michael, I Want Your Sex. <laughs> When at, I was at 16 or no you're 12 and a half <laughs> yeah and I made did you have your boombox on the front I, steps just like going just for it yes. yeah everyone's and like it, what girl happening? across the street she's I know what's up in that house <laughs> and so that was really my first taste of like performing I had done a talent show I think when I was five and then I did another talent show when I was in elementary school. And of course, it was to Mariah Carey. My lips sing and, and danced. And I tortured these two girls that were my only friends. And they could not dance. They had no rhythm. And I made them dance to Mariah Carey. But so I ended up making captain. I joined the drill team. And the coach at the time, her name was Elizabeth Cantine, who is mm-hmm. now my godmother. She had danced her whole life, like professionally ballet, like uh, every form of dance. And she was like, you have a lot more potential than just being on this drill team. I want to introduce you to someone who owns a local ballet studio here in San Pedro. And I was already attending the Boys and Girls Club. Me and my siblings did. While my mom was at work, that was like where we went to be safe, um, not on the street. And so the teacher... Cynthia Bradley came to the Boys and Girls Club and she had started this program where she was looking for more diverse students to bring into her school on full scholarship. So I was literally forced into taking this ballet class on the basketball court at my Boys and Girls Club. And she was like, I've never seen a talent like yours before. And I think like you're, a raw talent. Yeah. She's like, I think you're a prodigy. And she kept sending notes home with me to give to my mother to ask if I could come to her school. And I would never give them to my mom. I don't even think my mom knew I was taking the ballet class at the Boys and Girls Club. Like, I just didn't offer up a lot of information at that time. You and probably didn't feel that serious about it until no, you knew what it was. Right. Yeah. And I, I didn't like it at first. You know, I was in gym clothes and I was in socks and I was on a basketball court. And I was like, what is this crazy thing I'm doing called ballet? And I just didn't really feel any connection to it. And at that time, my mom had left her last husband and she was kind of dating different guys. And we were living in a motel at that time. So I feel like I was- All of you? All of us. Yeah. Uh, Just with my mom, just in a one bedroom, like it was a living room, just one room with all of us kids. And we would just sleep on the floors. What was that like? Um, You know, I think that I was so used to keeping secrets it was just normal. Like we never, no one ever knew what was going on in our, in our household. I didn't have any real close friends. I was just kind of existing and I would never, like no one knew anything about our lives at home. So I, at that point, 
was taking a bus back and forth, you know, to go to school because it was no, we were no longer living in San Pedro. We were a bit further away. But so it was just like a lot happening at that time when I discovered ballet. And so it finally got to the point where she got our home number or whatever, or I don't know if it was my mom's work number. They ended up speaking on the phone and my mom agreed to let me go and start training with her at the actual ballet school. Um, after a couple of months, my mom was just like, this is too much. Like we're living in a motel where she had lost her job. We're on food stamps. She's like, ballet is the farthest thing from what we need to be focusing on. Like, I need to just keep you guys in school and food on the table. So I went to... It's understandable. Yeah, absolutely. So She was I probably went terrified. To, yes. I, I, yeah, absolutely. It was just a huge life change for all of us to be at that low of a point. Um, but so you were together. And I we think were, and that was what we had. It was each other. And I think that's what kept us strong like you know I think that we're all so strong because of having gone through everything we've had to go through and it's and it's still shocking to this day I think for all of my siblings that none of us ended up like in prison or like you know on the street like we're all like successful people and it's so crazy to think that we didn't really have any guidance at any point in our But you stayed upbringing. together. Yeah. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. And I yeah. think your mom probably, you know, despite the uncertainty of, you know, her working during that time, probably just really, you know, she created some kind of routine for you. Yes. I mean, there is an inner in strength the of it, yeah. that she always had that I think we just saw. And it was just innate in us, like survival. Like there's no giving up. I love that. Yeah. There is no giving yeah, up. Yeah, there's no giving up. We never felt that that was like an option. Unstyled podcast is made possible by Refinery29 and Airy, your body positive go-to for intimates and loungewear. You know exactly what you'd want to wear while binge listening to your favorite podcast. Never retouched and always real, Airy gives you the everyday pieces that make you feel confident, strong, and always the real you in your own style. So it got to the point where I, I went to my ballet teacher, Cynthia, and I said, I can't take ballet anymore. Like, it's too much. My mom has five other kids. And, and she was like, OK, can I at least drive you home? And I was terrified to give her the address to the motel because she had no idea I was living there. So I gave her the address and she pulls up and she was just like in shock. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today she was like this is where you live and I was like yeah 
So she let me out of the car. I went upstairs and like that was the end of that. So I think it was maybe 10 minutes later she had left and she came back and there was a knock on the door and we were like, who is this? And my mom opened the door and they were like talking for a while and they were both kind of crying. I was off like sitting in a corner. I didn't know what was going on. And then my mom turned around and she was like, Cindy asked if you could live with her and train like intensely because she thinks she have the potential to be a professional dancer. And I was like, okay. And I literally like, we didn't have a lot of stuff. So I just had like my book bag and I put like a couple things in there, like clothes that I had and left. That and night? That night. And she didn't even tell her husband. She, had a, she had a three-year-old son and she was, you know, it was like a new m- marriage and she had a three-year-old Were you excited? Boy. Were you terrified? I, was, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to think. So we get to her home and, you know, she opens the door and she screams to her husband, Patrick, like, um, I'm home and Misty's going to live with us. And he was like, okay. That's it. And that was it. That's a discussion. Yeah. And so, I mean, it just kind of like, I fit in very easily. Like things just happened really naturally and it, they became my family. I lived with them for about three years. And she's and your godmother. No, that's Elizabeth, oh, that's who Elizabeth. is the drill okay. team. Yeah, which she stayed a, a big part of my life. Like she was paying for my, my leotards and tights and point shoes and ballet slippers. And, you know, everyone was just like contributing, contributing to getting me to the point where Cindy thought I could go. And so it was around... I think I was 15 when I went away to my first summer intensive program. So I'd only been dancing, I think, a year and a half or so. And I was given a full scholarship from the San Francisco Ballet School. It was my first time, I think, leaving home. And I went away and I spent like two months in San Francisco. It was so new to me still, ballet. Like there was vocabulary I still didn't even know, like steps I hadn't learned. But they brought me in and they put me in the highest level of the class, like of the um, program, which all of the people around me were like, what is going on? Why is this girl in this class? Meanwhile, I don't even think I realized, but I was the only black girl as well. And so at the end of the summer, I was offered a place to stay and live in San Francisco at 15 15. to train with their school full time. And my mom was like, no, no. You're, this you're no this, you, you're not capable of doing any of that on your own like you need to come back home and so when I got back home that's when all of the kind of chaos broke out and my mom didn't want me living with Cynthia anymore and so, why do you think that is um I think she just felt like it it had become more than just training I think she just felt like she was like losing me that I had b- become a part of this other family and that was like a terrifying feeling I think for her like was it scary for you No, I was like, you're both my family. I love it. Like I was loving life for the first time. I was growing and... I have to be honest. I think I would probably be a little bit territorial as your mom was too. I'm sure it was incredibly scary to her. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I yeah, there's so many things that I understand why she felt that way. So Cynthia spoke to me and we, well... I don't know if it was we, I don't think I completely understood what I was saying yes to, but that I was going to emancipate myself. Um, and so it ended up becoming this mess and it was very, very public and it was like very traumatic. It was like all over, I mean, it was like news, like everywhere all over the world. And, you know, I was in court, my mom was trying to get a restraining order against the family. And we ended up so it was just like very public. And to me, that was like the most, like horrifying thing. You know, I ended up going because I took, I think, two years off, two or three years off from school, and I was doing independent studies so that I could train all day. And 
So I had to go back to my public school and now everyone knew everything about my life where before it was like no one knew anything. It was my thing that I didn't have to like share with anyone. Secrets. It was my secret. Yeah. And so I think one of the most like mortifying times in my teen years was 16 and I was in high school again and my mom wanted us to go on the Lisa Gibbon show and it was just a disaster you know you mean like in a reality show kind of way it was a talk show yeah no yeah. I remember yeah. it but it was like that that was that sort of reality ish yeah. talk kind yeah. of trend right yes um and to me like so I was walking through the halls of my high school and I found out that like the teachers in like most of the classrooms like stopped class and allowed the students to watch the episode and it was just like it was way too much for me to That's handle. Upsetting. Yeah. Not so, professional at no. all and <laughs> no. not protective of you yeah. and the fact that you were a minor and yeah. probably didn't really even want to go on the show. No, I didn't. Yeah. So it, there was just, there was so much stuff that I think prepared me for being a professional dancer. You know, having gone through all of that, the following summer, I was given a full scholarship to come to New York City. So I was 16 to train with American Ballet Theater summer intensive program. Were you clearly emancipated at this point? No, it, we, it never. Okay. I dropped the emancipation. Everything ended up, you know, my, they went their way. I no longer had a relationship or spoke with, with my ballet teacher or her family. Um, I was, was that hard for you? Oh, it was extremely difficult. And Mariah Carey got me through a lot of those times. <laughs> I remember like I going, bet. I mean, it was, it was a lot to handle because when I left Cindy, I had to go back to, and live at the motel. So it was just like this crazy change. It was it was a lot. And I, you know, at the time, I think I was so young, I didn't really understand. And so I just had a lot of resentment towards my mother. And so I would lock myself in the, you know, the only room that I could go to where I didn't, you know, it was one room with all of us kids. And so I would lock myself in the bathroom for hours and I would just listen to Mariah Carey like over and over and over again. And she was like that, like you're saying, that, that one constant stability that I had in my life. It's like um, a trigger for you. So yeah. you kind of go back to a safe place. Exactly. And it's really interesting because to this day, if I'm like taking a bath and my husband hears Mariah Carey on, he opens the door and he's like, is everything okay? <laughs> I guess that's like what like keeps me like calm and sane. It's a and then sign. I'm, yeah, yeah. That's just like my go-to. That's yeah. like a comforting thing. Yeah, I can um, imagine. But we ended up leaving the motel. Um, we had help from people, from my godparents and everything. We ended up getting an apartment in San Pedro. So I was close to my high school. I finished out my high school. I was 17, I think, when I graduated. But I was in New York City with the American Ballet Theater training when I was 16. And then they offered me a position to stay in New York and be a part of their studio company, which is like the junior company that prepares you to be a professional. So there's six girls and six boys, and you travel the United States and perform. And my mom was like, no. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? This is my dream. She's like, you're not ready. So I went back home. I finished high did you school. Think, did you think you weren't ready? No. I mean, at that time, I was like, I'm, I'm in New York. I'm going to do this. But of course, like, I mean, I there were so many skills I was lacking. But even with that extra year in high school, I still hadn't like grown into the person I should have become. You know, I think that because of all the trauma and everything, like I was so underdeveloped as a person. It was so interesting because as an artist and as a dancer, I had like blossomed so quickly. And then I had no like communication skills. Like there were so many things I couldn't do. So I think my mom knew that. Do you think the the rigor and the discipline that's demanded of of dancers was somehow 
like comforting to you. Yeah. Like the, the routine and having Mm -hmm. this sort of like, it was the first time I had that in my life. I can understand that. And I just like held on to that. And it was just like, I needed that structure. Yeah. And I think that it helped me to grow immensely by having that in my life. So I ended up graduating high school. My mom made me come home and go to prom. She's like, I want you to be a normal kid. And I was like, I do not want to go. It was like one of the worst nights. <laughs> it's like, please don't make you know, me out. I actually really like loathe the prom too. So the first, the first ballet I ever performed in was the Nutcracker when I was 13, when I first started dancing. And I performed the role of Clara. And mm-hmm. I think I'd been dancing for eight months, which is crazy. I was on point and everything. And the following year, I did the role of the Sugar Plum Fairy. So it was a huge part of my my life from a young it's Such a beautiful story, age, too. I know. And then I ended up doing it when I was 15. Um, Debbie Allen, she has a school in, in Los Angeles, and she had her own version of the Nutcracker that she created. And at the time, it was called the Chocolate Nutcracker. So it was like, it was the first time I was surrounded by black dancers. I'd never been in that environment she's before. Still, she's still, yep, she's still chore- going yeah, strong. She's still dancing she's doing and, it all. and doing choreography yeah, too. Yeah, TV, she's producing everything. Yeah, I, I see her often whenever I'm there in LA. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, and her and her family have been huge supporters of mine from the beginning. I can imagine. Yeah, she's awesome. But so that was the first time that I was on stage again with like a a black cast. When was this exactly? 95. So a while ago. You know, it was a a long time ago. I was 15. uh, 15 It's amazing that she was really pushing that agenda and and making sure that, you know, that black dancers were being seen and did have a platform. I mean, yeah, she's always been really good about doing that. um, And to this day, but so, yeah, I performed on stage and she, instead of having um, Uncle Drosselmeyer as the character, she was aunt, I don't know what her name was, but she played that character as a woman. And I had to, I had like lines where I had to like memorize lines and speak with Debbie Allen on stage. And it was terrifying. I mean, how did you prepare for I don't even remember. No. I have, I like blocked it out. You're like, just <laughs> don't I, pass out. Yeah, right. And then just I, get I, through it. <laughs> and I wouldn't do something like that again in my life until I had already become a principal dancer and I was in the Broadway show on the town. But that's not what we do as dancers. We don't speak, especially on stage. Um, but so the Nutcracker was always like a really big part of my dance career. And so I, I graduated high school. I moved to New York permanently and joined the company. And the first injury that I had that I learned so much from, I was in the company only for a year. And I was, so I was in the court of ballet and I was given the opportunity to learn the lead in the Nutcracker, the role of Clara, mm-hmm. which is unheard of when you're that soon in, in a person's career. Yeah. Um, and so I was just like, oh my God, this is like, it's full circle. And so I was rehearsing during our off time because the artistic director, Kevin McKenzie, really wanted me to, to be prepared. And I ended up getting a stress reaction in my lower lumbar of my back. So I ended up having to pull out um, of the season. And I uh, was not dancing for a year to have my back heal. I was wearing a back brace um, like 23 hours a day. Wow. And it was really interesting because I feel like I learned so much during that time. Like I, I spent a lot of time back in California. I've, I got my driver's license. I you worked was, on a lot of those other skills yeah, that you said that, that I, you were kind of missing before. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so when I came back to ABT, um, you know, there was a lot happening. Like I think the doctors thought that I got the fracture because I wasn't menstruating. 
which is normal. Like I was really, really tiny and super athletic. And so they thought that it's dangerous. Like she may get another one. So we need to put her on the pill so she can, you know, get her period, which I think was a huge mistake. So, you know, back then it was just How old were you at this point? Maybe 19. Had you not gotten your period up until then? Which is normal for a lot of athletes. Um, So it wasn't, you know, no one was concerned. Okay. Yeah. But this doctor thought maybe that's why I was getting fractures. So within a month, I gained 10 pounds from being on birth control. It was traumatic because I, you know, I went from being this like having this ideal body for ballet, like everything about my proportions. And then all of a sudden I'm a double D and I'm bigger. So I go back to ABT and it was like a whole different experience. I never was offered the role of Clara again maybe for another 15 years. So it was just like a, so the Nutcracker is a lot of different, you know, I have a lot of emotions around the the ballet. So tell us a little bit about, so this film comes out in November, November November 2nd. Yes. And you're starring in this, in this film alongside some pretty incredible people. Never dreamed in my life that is it I, Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren, Kira Knightley, Knightley, Morgan Freeman, I um, mean Mackenzie. I mean, what was it like, you know, being able to have this sort of moment happen, you know, that you kind of couldn't have happen earlier because of some mm-hmm. of these other complications? Yeah. But now you're doing it in a way that's like <laughs> so, so big and it's, so on your own terms. Yeah, you know, first of all, this is not like how I saw my path. You know, my goal was ABT, and just getting there was like. I've, this is it. This is everything I've wanted. So having all these other opportunities, it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's happening. But it's also, you know, I don't ever attach myself to things that I'm not passionate about or or that make sense for me. And of course, when they came to me about, you know, it's based on the book, so it's not the ballet story, but they were like, we can't have a Nutcracker film and not have ballet in it. And so they created a role for me where I'm, I'm dancing in it. But I think the most powerful thing is that this Disney movie, I think, will live on forever, and it's a brown ballerina in the film. And to me, that's the most like impactful and unbelievable thing that I could contribute to it. So it's it's pretty crazy. That's awesome. That <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Yeah. The one thing I'd really love to know is just like how the discipline of dance really sort of like extends throughout mm-hmm. your life. You know, is it difficult yeah. now because you dance a lot? You mm-hmm. are very your body is is really sort of, you know, taxed, um, you know, given how much you practice and train. What are some things that you do to just like really like feel good and to sort of feel energized and to sort of feel comforted and and taken care of? Mm -hmm. I take ballet class almost every morning because it not only do I have to to warm me up for the rehearsal day or just to keep my technique like, um, you know, fine-tuned and my body fine-tuned. It's also like a very meditative thing for me that's like, it's like a ritual, you know? I do it every morning. It keeps me centered and balanced. There's no phone. It's just the piano, classical music in my body. And so I feel like as a dancer, ballet is just the best thing you can do. I know that there are lots of trends and, you know, bar workouts and stuff, but it's like, just go take a ballet class. You won't have to do anything else. (laughs) Do you think it's because you become so in tune with your body? Mm -hmm. Because all the sort of movements are so controlled and they're so specific and, Mm -hmm. and and special. You know, I, I would think that I've never taken a ballet class, but I've always wanted to because there's something obviously so beautiful about mm-hmm. it, but you're so in your body. Yeah. The smallest of movements and muscles that, you know, you know, I say we are athletes, but 
I don't know, the attention to detail and what we have to do, like you can't really take that much time off because you lose it so quickly. It's not like, you know, the the big muscles that a lot of athletes use, like there's so many tiny little muscles, even within our feet, the bottoms of our feet and how to articulate our toes and being on point. And there's just so much involved in like the investments that we put into our, our bodies. And so it's, it's amazing to be able to have these opportunities like being with Under Armour and to be put on the same platform as a Stephen Curry or a Tom Brady or The Rock. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a black ballerina, it's like I feel like it's the first time that Americans are really seeing all that it takes to be a ballet dancer, you know, that we're athletes. And it's not easy. We're not just out there trolling around in a tutu, which I think a lot of people assume. But, you know, because we Do make you really it look, think so? Oh, if you've ever that. seen a live performance of dance, right. you well, know. Well, a lot of them haven't. So, And I think that these are opportunities for me to get them in the door. You know, when they see like, oh, like there's more to it. And, and you know, there's it's a talent and a strength to be able to make it look effortless. And so it's, I think, even more difficult than any sport I can think of. But to me, that's just been so much a part of my message. And what I've wanted to do is just diversifying classical dance, bringing more people into the theater, because I think once they're in there, they'll fall in love with it. And so I just feel like that's what I was born to do. You're very, very good at it. Misty thank Copeland, it's such so a pleasure much. to have you on Unstyle today. You. Thank you for being here and congratulations on the film. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're inspired after hearing Misty's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to the Unstyled podcast on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more, and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Bridget Todd, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Kelsey Miller. Our theme music today is by The Artist Cough. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Lena Dunham. See you then.